when she asks Mask'em. 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 COVID. <laughs> yeah. COVID edition. Welcome to BYOB, the Bring Your Own Book podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Tilly. And I'm Nikki. This week, we're talking about Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, which was first published in 1938. Here's the publisher's synopsis from Nikki. Last night, I dreamt I went to Manderley again. The novel begins in Monte Carlo, where our heroine is swept off her feet by the dashing widower Maxim de Winter and his sudden proposal of marriage. Orphaned and working as a lady's maid, she can barely believe her luck. It's only when they arrive at his massive country estate that she realizes how large a shadow his late wife will cast over their lives, presenting her life with a lingering evil that threatens to destroy their marriage from beyond the grave. Sounds like a roaring romp of a read. (laughs) Alliteration. (laughs) Thanks, Nikki. No problem. Tilly... Um, Yeah, so the drink that we've chosen to pair with this episode is quite fittingly called the Haunted Mansion Cocktail. It's made with frozen lemonade concentrate, water, ginger ale, and black vodka. So the result is this smoky, gray, uh, spooky-looking beverage. And as this book is one of the most famous novels about a gothic manor-slash-mansion, and there's some sort of haunting going on, we thought this drink would be perfect. So let's all uh, take a little sip. Cheers! Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Oh, I like that. It's like simple, but good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I would drink that often. (laughs) All right. So as you may or may not know, at this point in the episode, we're all going to give our five star ratings or yeah, our five star ratings. And we give different reasonings for why we rate the books we rate and why we What's a five? What's a four? Et cetera. So why don't, uh, Tilly, why don't you go first? Okay, sure. So I'm actually pretty surprised I'd never read this book before, considering that it falls well within uh, a lot of my interests, um, namely women writers, uh, gothic manners, spooky things, and really great writing. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you all uh, for sure that I rated this five out of five stars. I super loved it. I thought that uh, the writing was excellent. I loved the atmosphere. Uh, The pace, I found a little slow at first, but then I realized it was doing something purposeful, which was it was building up this tension. And so it was causing me as a reader a lot of like anxiety and sympathy for the shy protagonist. I was almost like taking too much in. Like I was starting to be like, am I not good at anything? Do I have terrible self-esteem? But I think that was purposeful and it meant that everything kind of built and built until the pieces started to fall together and that it was just like so many twists one after another and I was on the edge of my seat so I loved it awesome I'll go next because I think you and Nikki probably had a similar reading experience so let's have you bookend and I'll go in the middle (laughs) okay I'm really interested (laughs) to hear what you're gonna say see yeah I know (laughs) earlier you both were like, I really, I'm interested to see what you're going to say or what you're going to write this because I guess this isn't my normal read, I guess. But like, I do like creepier, thriller, slow burn, what's going on. But for me, I'm stuck between a three or three and a half out of five. 
And I think it's my fault entirely because not only did I wait way too late to read this book and then I had like a mad dash to finish, I've also already seen the movie. So all these twists and turns, I was not surprised at all. Mm. And I felt like when I was reading, I was just like checking the boxes of like, okay, we're at this point. Okay, we're at this point because it was, I already know all the twists and I'm running short on time. (laughs) So I did, however, really enjoy her writing style and the tone. And Mm -hmm. I would love to read another book of hers that I don't know anything about because this really like bummed me out because I did enjoy it, but I didn't get the full experience because I was so stressed. I already knew everything and I was just kind of like, okay, cool. This is how she wrote it down. Cool. You know? But I did go in very um, hesitant because I said, I think to both of you, I was worried that the language would be very dry and formal because it is an older book. And thankfully, it was not. It was not dry and formal. I There were some really, really nice passages that I highlighted. Um, but yeah, for me, I'm probably a three and a half because I did enjoy it. But it was all the extra stuff in my life, I guess, <laughs> that affected my actual experience. But I would totally read more of her work. So three and a half, I'll say, out of five. Nikki, do you want to go? I, like Tilly, gave this book a five out of five. I absolutely adored it. I think it's one of my new favorites. Um, One thing with the book, so I suggested we did we do this for the podcast after I've watched the new movie, the Netflix movie with Lily James and Army Hammer, because I loved it so much. It gave me all of these, like, creepy vibes. The music in it was so good. Like, oh, it was just amazing. So when reading this, I also knew all of the plot twists. But it didn't bother me at all because the journey was, like, so exciting. And there was enough little differences that I was, like, still engrossed in what was happening. So, yeah, I just wish I could read it again already. (laughs) I should say as well that... (laughs) (laughs) that's right you can return to it as many times as you like um i should say as well that i've seen the old movie i think the 19 when was it 1940 something only 1940 wow that was only two years after it was published that's pretty cool um but i had seen that but probably about 10 years ago and i don't think i retained a lot of it because when i was going through i was like i don't remember any of this from the movie i only had like a couple of visual memories that were kind of uh, brought up as I was reading. I was like, oh yeah, I kind of remember that happening. But I, I, I hear too that the older movie is quite a bit different from the newer one. So be interested to compare and contrast that later. Mm-hmm. I've seen the newer one as well. And that's it. I've not seen the original. Um, but yeah, let's get into some first impressions. So the characters, the pacing, atmosphere, the mystery, if you will. Um, <laughs> I... The pacing didn't bother me because I was ripping through this book. So what was the pace? I don't know, because I had to rip through, right? <laughs> the pace was about 1.5 speed, right? 1.5, then 1.6, then 2. So, Oh, my God. Okay. Yes. I, I guess I should say I listened to the book and I read along with the ebook, And I will I have a whole story about that experience as well, which also <laughs> probably hindered my reading experience. <laughs> So so you listened to it and then read along at the same time? Oh, interesting. Yes. So I don't think I've ever done that. That would probably help me retain it better. I yeah, I do like especially when I speed up the audiobook, it really does help. Um but 
yeah, the narrator was pretty good. She sounded really old, which I was like, okay, because I... It's Mrs. I, Danvers. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but um, so the pacing for me didn't really matter because I was going so friggin' fast that I was just like, okay, great. <laughs> Things are happening. It's it's going. Um, mm-hmm. The atmosphere, though, was very interesting because it felt very, like, isolated. Um, and I love... Like, I just want to explore the grounds of oh, Manderley, yeah. you yeah. know, like the, what was it? The Happy... Happy Valley. Happy Valley. Mm-hmm. This sounds like a video game place. Happy Valley. <laughs> like and Stardew Valley. Cove. Yeah. Cute. The cove and the woods and everything. I would love to explore the grounds. I think as I was picturing everything, and maybe it has to do with the copy of the book that I had is like quite old and really small print. So it like took me a second to get into the the actual physical reading experience. But I think as I was going, I was picturing everything kind of in like grayscale. And I, I just realized I think it's because the cover of my edition is very like kind of washed out like it's like a, a photograph not from it's not a still from the movie it's from something else like some sort of old school photo shoot where the colors are all really like um really washed out and really like kind of um like gray sepia. and oh. spooky and sepia mm-hmm. yeah and i'm just realizing i think i was picturing everything kind of in that tone <laughs> inspired by the cover isn't that interesting wow mm-hmm. that is really interesting <laughs> i don't think like I think for me, I was picturing basically the actors from the new movie because I loved it so much. But because I liked the movie so much, that really, I think, just enhanced my reading experience overall. But I loved all of the description in this book. I'm usually not a huge person for like a lot of like, and the leaves were brown and they crinkled <laughs> under my feet while I walked and all that kind of shit. Cause I'm usually like, okay, like let's like, it's let's fall. Like, yeah, pick yeah. it up. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Because I'm like, it's autumn moving on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the first chapter of this book, I was like, Oh no, what did I do? Why did I suggest this book? This is going to be a huge <laughs> nightmare. Mistake, mistake, mistake. But I found the audiobook that Alexandra Okarma narrated, and I really liked that. It helped me get into everything. And then probably like 100 pages into the book, I started to just read it. So it was a little, it was a nice little boost kickoff mm. into getting kind of enraptured in the story. I found the okay. pacing pretty good. Honestly, I didn't think it was like, too slow and i was invested in what was happening i think if i would have been like whatever it would have been a really hard 400 pages to get through mm-hmm. but luckily that was not the case yeah <laughs> yeah and just to clarify for the listeners i was not like whatever but i left it way too late which is on me because life got in the way and i was like oh my god like <laughs> having to rip through <laughs> Man, been there. Yeah. 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 But that's why I want to read another one of her books because I didn't yeah. really like her style. So I'm glad because if I didn't, that would have been awful. <laughs> like to rip through and hate every second of it. Children, yeah. Blood, and Bone. Um, so. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Wow. We're getting spicy today. Yes. <laughs> but I do want to quickly share my little reading experience story because I thought it was so hilarious and like, what the hell? <laughs> because. 
you both know already, but I'll share with the listeners. I went to the library or the website library, you know, like the online Libby thing. And I was like, I'm going to get the ebook because I didn't want to pay for the book. I wanted to take it out of the library. And so I went to take it out of our library and we only had one ebook copy. And I was like, that's fine. I open it up and it's in Spanish. We're in a place where not a lot of people speak Spanish. So I was very thrown <laughs> by that being the only copy. And I should have known because Rebecca was spelt with only one C, but that was my bad. <laughs> so <laughs> then I had to buy an ebook. And then I tried to find an audiobook to go with it. And every one I found was abridged. And I was like following along with my ebook and then seeing that we skipped four pages. And I was like, oh, what? Weird. what? So then I had to return the audiobook, get another audiobook. And here we are. I, I did not listen to the same one that Nikki did. I had the Audible version with Anne Massey, I think was her name. And it was great. But I was just like, the world does not want me to read Rebecca. Like, why is it so hard to read <laughs> yeah, everything Rebecca? was stacked against you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I think it's so strange that when people abridge the classics, because it's for what for what purpose? I don't really understand. Especially because Rebecca wasn't a super long book. No, no. I think my copy was like four hundred pages with with very tiny print, though. So maybe mm. it's like longer in a bigger. Uh, a bigger format, but that's not so long that you need to like cut things out. And it wasn't like you guys were saying, like there was pretty good pacing throughout. It wasn't like there were huge, boring chunks that you have to just like kind of get rid of or people's interest will flag. No. And like the the first audiobook I had that was abridged was only five hours long. And the real one is like 15 hours so yeah, Kelly was it like, literally? Can you send me a picture of your audiobook or what audiobook are you reading? And I sent her the thing, and it was like fifteen hours, and like beside the little headphones. And she goes, "What the hell?" She's like, "Mine's only five hours." <laughs> only five hours, man. That's like yeah, they just like skipped every other chapter or something. But then, like a freaking idiot, I go to buy another one. Okay. And it was the BBC version, and it was a red, like, dramatic red one. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is going to be great, because I like when they do that. And it was only four hours, and I was like, it says unabridged, so maybe it's just a lot of dialogue. Nope. They lied to me. So then I had to do a return again. And I was like, oh, my God. It was a lot. Wow. This book yeah. is truly taking you on a journey. It was haunting. Not, not <laughs> in the book like outside of the book <laughs> yeah. but anyways I, I do oh sorry go ahead i was gonna say i think that just shows us all that if we're gonna wait we need to source our material in advance <laughs> <Ahead> of time <laughs> but anyways i want to quickly touch on some of the characters before we go into spoilers and book recommendations um because i do want to mention a few things that i don't think is spoilery but um what did you think of the main few characters i guess so the narrator Maxim, Mrs. Danvers. Let's go with those three for now. Well, I was really excited by the fact that the narrator remains unnamed throughout the whole book. Mm. Um, I guess it's going to make it harder for us to talk about her, but um, I was excited by that because having known not a whole lot about the book going into it, except having seen the movie, but so long ago that I didn't remember it. Um, you typically assume that like the book is named after the main character. Mm -hmm. And then to find out that it's not the main character, it's like a character who not only is not present throughout the book, but is literally not alive for the duration of the book. And that's su such an interesting like choice in a literary sense. And 
I just was like so excited by that. And I was like, oh, Daphne, you're doing you're doing things that no one else is doing. <laughs> well, she was. Yeah. But now the the I thought that was cool. And I had to keep reminding myself that this was written in like 1938 because that has been done since. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, sure. she didn't name the main character. huh? And I was like, oh, but like back then people were probably like, this is revolutionary. So <laughs> I agree. It was very cool. I just had to check myself and be like, this is an old ass book. <laughs> so she probably also, was one of the first people to do that. Well, and sorry, Kelly, this isn't about characters, but I'm just going to say it really quickly, sure. which is that it also felt like um, a really timeless book because in my mind it was written in like the 1890s, like around the time of a, a lot of other kind of like gothic fiction by women. Mm-hmm. But it was 1938, which is like, I think the year after The Hobbit was released. So it was really kind of a lot more contemporary. That, I mean, it's still old, old, but it's still a lot more contemporary than I was expecting, like kind of like 40 years after the big kind of craze of like gothic fiction. So I was really interested in that as well, because yeah, I tend to think of it kind of in the same in the same breath as a lot of those other books, like um, like The Tenant of Wildfell Hall or Jane Eyre or any of those. Mm-hmm. So I was, yeah, I was just like, wow, this is so interesting that it's um more contemporary than, than we assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's why I was like, oh, God, is this going to be dry? And Because, for- like, for me, reading a lot of older, older books, I'm like, oh, no, because it's just a different style, right? So I was so happy this was not that way. I was like, yay! Um, I didn't – it wasn't uh, – I wasn't bothered by the narrator not having a name. But my, like, actor brain was like, but what is her name? What is it? But I, it didn't bother me. It didn't ruin my, like <laughs> – enjoyment of the book. Um, But I do want to talk about Maxim because I feel like I'm in the, I'm the outlier where I did not like him. I really No, I didn't like him either. Okay, great. (laughs) There were a few parts in the beginning of the book where I was like, oh, this is like, like, he's kind of charming. Like, oh, that's a cute little like flirtatious line. Like, oh, that's kind of cute. You know, like, I was like, oh, look at this romance. It is like a new love, you know, and she's super young, which how old is she? I don't know. She's like maybe 20. I think, she's, I think she was 21. 21. Okay. I think they, they say a few school. times like, yeah, and they say a few times like, what is it like being 21? Which I think is maybe uh, oh, I was they? assuming. Yeah. Oh, I must have missed that on my one and a half, 1. 1.6, it's, 2 point. <laughs> yeah, it was super subtle too. too. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they were so, just like, yeah, she's just a young girl. And I was like. I'm going to presume that means young woman to yeah. save yep. my sanity. So yeah, well, they kept saying like <laughs> she could be your daughter, you know, because he was much older, which that was not out of the ordinary back then. So I was like, whatever, you know, <laughs> c'est la vie. So, he was like but forty six or something, I think they mentioned. Mm-hmm. Which when the first time they said, yeah, because you're like she's old, she's young enough to be your daughter, whatever. I was like. Did they miscast in these movies? Was he like really a decrepit <laughs> old man? And then I, when they said his age, I was like, oh no, that makes sense. That's still, it checks <laughs> out. But I was like, for probably like 150 pages, I was like, Army Hammer does not look like that. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but yeah, I had a lot of problems with him, which we'll get into later because it does get into spoiler territory. 
But I know, like, I was looking at Goodreads and half the people were like, oh my god, Maxim! And the other half were like, fuck this guy. And I think I was more on the fuck this guy camp. Yeah. I'm with you. I was on the fuck this guy. (laughs) I knew you wouldn't be, Nikki. (laughs) I'm... He's not... I don't feel like anything that he does... Like, at first I was like, why did she marry him? He's very, like, cold. But as you get through the book you realize why he is mm-hmm. and i'm like okay so i don't i don't know what what the reason is to to hate him because mm-hmm. she explains that it feels like a good reason so yeah. i was like okay that's that's <laughs> fine and also your name is bomb as fuck maximilian <laughs> de winter like yes please yeah. i'd marry someone just for that name mrs de winter <laughs> yeah yeah i uh and then quickly mrs danvers i like loved to hate her you know what i mean i was like she's a psycho bitch and i love her but i also hate her to pieces you know because <laughs> yeah. i thought she was so well written you know so i did love that but i was also like wow this lady like fire her just get her out you know anyways <laughs> we'll get into that but yeah shall we move on to book recommendations Sure. Yeah. I'm not sure if I have a book recommendation because my brain is still processing because I literally finished this like a few hours ago. So, but if you two have a book recommendation, by all means, go I for do. it. Tilly, do you want to go first? All right, I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> so I mentioned this earlier on, so it's probably not going to be a huge surprise, but I would recommend another classic gothic tale, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, which also features a shy lower class protagonist who finds herself in this like large forlorn mansion with this enigmatic and alluring uh, master of the house who has like secrets of his own. Um, it's a great read and also one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, and I think if you enjoyed Rebecca, you should definitely try Jane Eyre because the, it's it's very it's similar in tone. I mean, the, the, there are differences in the story, obviously, and they're still like their own separate books, but they feel very um, connected to me. Nice. Okay, cool. I've only seen bits and pieces of the movie, so I think I'll be okay to read that. Because <laughs> I do want to read that one. I just never have, so... I will get After to I finished Rebecca, I was like, I want to read Jane Eyre now because I've been wanting to read it for a long time. I read three pages and I was like, this is not the same kind of writing at all. No. And it was yeah. really late. And I was like, I'm going to put this down. Yeah. yeah. It's older, too. It, yes. it is in, in like the 1890s. So it does. Sometimes it just takes a little while to like let yourself sink into the style, yeah. I find. And you have to kind of like let it wash over you. And then you're like, okay, I got it now. Yeah. And yeah. not right before bed because, yeah. 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 Like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's kind of like when you're watching a show where they all have Irish accents or something. And it like takes you for the first like episode or, or two. It takes you a bit of time to understand what they're saying. Like, I'm thinking of, like, Dairy Girls on Netflix. Yeah. And then um, once you kind of understand, then you can understand perfectly and everything's great. That's what I find it is with older book styles, um, especially, like, kind of from that time, like the 1800s. You just got to let it wash over you and and you'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I agree. My recommendation is And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. Oh, yeah. It's a shorter book. It is very fast paced. It takes place in a big old mansion where all of these people come together for an unknown reason. And from the title, you can probably infer what might happen by the end. (laughs) 
but it's so many different classes of people. They're all there for different reasons. There's rich people, there's secretaries, there's people that say they're one thing and they're actually another. Like, it's got it all. When I was reading Rebecca, it had a lot of the same vibes and it gave me a lot of the same feelings reading the descriptors that Mm. and then there were none gave me. So that's another fun older one if you want to dip your toes into some classic literature. And that's a a great book too. I've read that one. Yeah, I read it in like a day. It was so much fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you both. Mm Mm-hmm. Alrighty, so we're going to move into spoiler territory now. So if you haven't read the book and you don't want to know how it all turns out, you should probably stop listening right now. And if you like what you're hearing, please feel free to leave us a rating or review on your podcast app of choice. So if you don't want any spoilers, please leave. Bye. We'll see you later. Bye. (laughs) Okay, we'll begin with a quick recap of the rest of the book. So we're all on the same page. So the book opens with our nameless protagonist reminiscing about her past as a younger woman living at Manderley Estate, with plenty of menacing foreshadowing about her time there. The story then takes place in the form of a flashback, beginning with the protagonist on vacation in Monte Carlo with her busybody employer Mrs. Van Hopper. Though our heroine is shy and constantly anxious about doing the wrong thing, she catches the eye of the enigmatic Maxim de Winter, a wealthy widower, who soon proposes and whisks her off to live with him at Manderley. The new Mrs. de Winter knows little about running an estate and is relieved to give all responsibility to the intimidating housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers. Our heroine is insecure about her lower class background and youth and constantly compares herself to Maxim's first wife, Rebecca, who she learns died in a tragic boating accident a year ago. Everyone speaks incredibly highly of Rebecca, including Maxim's sister Beatrice and the house overseer Frank Crawley, which adds to our heroine's insecurity and soon blossoms into an obsessive jealousy. Boy, does it ever! So Maxim and his wife are persuaded to revive the yearly tradition of a lavish costume ball at Manderley, and our heroine soon gets swept up in it all. Mrs. Danvers suggests that she take costume inspiration from one of the old family portraits hanging in the Great Hall, and our heroine excitedly orders a costume to look just like it. However, when the time comes for the costume ball, and our heroine descends the staircase in her costume— Maxim is speechless in his horror, and we learn that this was the exact same outfit Rebecca wore to the last ball. Our heroine is mortified and convinced that Maxim will never love her like he loves Rebecca. The next morning, Mrs. Danvers almost succeeds in convincing our heroine to jump out an upstairs window. The only thing that breaks the spell is an explosion of rockets from the cove, which signals that a ship has run aground there. There is plenty of commotion at the beach, and divers go down to look at the grounded ship. Underwater, they unexpectedly discover the wreckage of Rebecca's sailboat, with a dead body locked in the cabin. Our heroine is confused, because Rebecca's body was identified a year ago. When she asks Mascom... Mascom! Mascom! COVID. (laughs) Yeah. COVID edition. When she asks Maxim, he breaks down and finally tells her the truth. Rebecca was not the saint everyone thought she was. She was a wicked and manipulative woman, their marriage was a lie, and she carried out multiple affairs, including one with her cousin, Jack Favell. One night, she confronted Maxim and told him she was pregnant with Jack's child, who would inherit Manderley and everything Maxim loved. In a rage, Maxim shot her, 
and sank the boat with her body in it. Our heroine, reeling from these revelations, is finally able to let go of the burden of Rebecca's ghost. She understands Maxim at last and can accept his love for her. However, the discovery of the sailboat opens the case back up. The coroner rules it a suicide, but Rebecca's cousin Jack guesses the truth and accuses Maxim of murdering her. The local magistrate, Colonel Julian, investigates, and they discover that Rebecca went to a doctor on the day she died. After tracking down the doctor, we learn that Rebecca was infertile and terminally ill, which convinces everyone of her suicide. Maxim and our heroine drive back to Manderley, but he is restless, sure that something is wrong. As they crest a hill, they look down and see Manderley in flames. Dun dun dun! Yeah, how did everyone feel about the ending? I was it, pretty shocked. I flipped to the next page. Uh, did I? We already talked about this. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the last line is, "It was shot with crimson, like a splash of blood, and the ashes blew towards us with the salt wind from the sea." And that's it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. I want to know what happens when you get there. You're getting into the good stuff. Just tack on another like ten pages, or even just a couple paragraphs. Yeah, I was like, ah. Because the movie, the new movie, they go, they see the burning house, they see Mrs. Danvers, you know, like, <laughs> there's all this in the, extra. In the old movie, she's not in the car with him. It's Max and Frank. Oh, for God's sake. What an unnecessary change. Yeah. Women can't go on these excursions <laughs> in the 30s. <laughs> it was an unnecessary change of many they did in that movie, though. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a, a really abrupt ending, and I think it had been foreshadowed at the very beginning of the mm-hmm. first chapter when she's, like, her dreaming, but I hadn't picked up on it, because I think they talk about it being, like, charred and, like, um, burned, and there's ash and everything. Did you guys pick up on that? Um, I didn't, but because I knew what was going to happen at the end, I think that I just... Yeah. I was, if, if it was there, I was like, oh, yeah, obviously, because like, it's going to light on fire <laughs> right i did like the image of the two of them driving towards their house and the narrator was like oh it looks like the sun is rising but that's not the right direction and he was like hmm and i just imagined them in the car going huh? and like looking at each other and then huh? <laughs> going back yeah it was a pretty powerful ending yeah i do wish there was just a tiny bit more but i guess that's the whole mm-hmm. point right it's like huh? it's jarring so, like, okay, Daphne, I understand, but I would like a tiny bit more. I know you can't anymore, but I would have liked a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Facts um, of fact. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm sorry, I need to talk about this protagonist. How do we feel about the narrator? Because I have some issues, and I kept <laughs> going back and forth between, like, like, empathizing with her and then just being so annoyed with her was anyone else annoyed with her ever no i was probably more annoyed with maxim throughout than i was with the protagonist probably because i like related to the protagonist too hard (laughs) okay yeah i don't know if i was annoyed with her there were definitely i don't because i'm the kind of person that will always like speak up and Mm -hmm. i don't take shit from people really 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how are you just sitting there? You're just like taking it from everyone. And I'm like, what <sighs> yeah. are you doing? So yeah. that didn't necessarily make me feel annoyed. But I do think that it would have been really cool if at the end when she kind of, because she kind of like goes through this like, albeit quick transformation at the end where mm-hmm. she's finally mm-hmm. like, yes, In I'm charge. a real person and stuff. It would have been really cool if she chose that moment to reveal her name because she's like become a real person. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I was kind of waiting to see if that would happen. It's fine that it didn't, like whatever. I was just like, that would be really cool. Yeah. yeah. But then I feel like it would also be really hard because how do you pick her name? Because yeah. you have to pick a really strong name to combat Rebecca. And yeah. like it would, anyway, it would just be a whole thing. Yeah. But. Yeah, so she didn't annoy me, but I was kind of like, wow, the transformation was really quick from, like, meek, little, quiet girl to, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just going to, like, make out with you in the library, and I'm going to be with you forever, and this is what you're going to do. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I had to keep her- The miracle of confidence. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I had to keep reminding myself how young she was and how, like, ill-equipped she was with everything going on because i was just like oh my god you are now the lady of the house like whatever you know like get rid of mrs danvers okay she's going behind your back she's treating you like crap just get rid of her you know like you don't need to keep her you don't need to keep all rebecca's things like all this stuff I'm like just get it out you know but then i was also mad at maxim for many things which i will get to But (laughs) that's why I kept going back and forth between, like, feeling for the narrator and then being annoyed. Because I was like, can you just, like, grow a spine for a sec and be like, no. And I understand it's hard because, I mean, I haven't been in this situation. (laughs) But we've all had situations where you're like, I feel so powerless and I don't know what to do. But I was just like, holy Jesus, girl. Like, from the beginning, she doesn't even refer to – she picks up the phone, isn't it? And she's like – oh, uh, Mrs. DeWinter isn't here or something. Like, she doesn't refer to herself as Mrs. DeWinter right away. And I'm like, girl, you got a ring on. You're Mrs. DeWinter now, you know? You're not Rebecca. It's fine. And, like, it was, like, I would get so annoyed, but then I would feel for her, and then I would be like, oh, my God, get rid of these people. Like, just do it, you know? So, but I understand the time period, and like the class issues and everything, but I was just like, oh my God. And Maxim, I'll get to him later. There's a really good um, entry that I don't have a post-it note for, but the essence of it is she she's kind of coming to this realization about Max and um, the honeymoon was very different than what it's like at Manderley. And she relates herself to the dog jasper yeah Yeah. she says i have that flagged if you wanna i can send it to you yeah that would be great so this is the part where she talks about kind of being like the dog i listened to them both leaning against maxim's arm rubbing my chin on his sleeve leaning against him he stroked my hand absently not thinking talking to beatrice that's what i do to jasper i thought i'm being like jasper now leaning against him He pats me now and again when he remembers, and I'm pleased. I get closer to him for a moment. He likes me in the way I like Jasper. So (sighs) 
that part made me very sad. Mm-hmm. And I was like so heartbroken for her then. But I I can understand in like Maxim's perspective why that shift happened. So on the honeymoon, they're carefree. She's never been to Manderley. She doesn't know anything about anything that has happened because he just didn't tell her any details, even if they were like lies. Mm -hmm. He wasn't even like, yeah, she drowned in a boating accident. There there was nothing. Mm -hmm. There was not even an effort to give this girl a heads up, which I think is like, you know, you... You want to tell someone something and you're like, well, I'll tell them tomorrow. And you're on your honeymoon and you're like, we're having such a nice time. I really like her. She's so different from Rebecca. She's so naive and kind and nice and caring. So I'll just I'll just wait. But then it gets like too long. And then it's like, well, I can't tell her now because that would be like really weird if I was just like, <laughs> let me tell you the story about my late wife and how I yeah. killed her. <laughs> yeah. So. I felt bad for both of them. Yeah. For very different reasons throughout the entire book. But that part specifically just made me like a little heart pang Mm -hmm. for her. I know. I I highlighted that part as well because I was also like, so I want to talk a bit about Maxim and why I didn't appreciate or didn't, didn't, um, what, how I felt about him, I guess. Mm -hmm. Great. Which is that, um, major red flags from the start. Yeah. (laughs) in the way that he, you know, notices her and it's almost kind of like makes fun of her. Like, I think he spends a lot of the beginning of the book belittling her. Oh, oh, sweet child or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's, and that's okay. And that's, you know, a lot of how people interact is maybe not uh, so clear to me and that's all right. But I was like suspicious of him from the get go. And I think part of this was because I had seen the older movie, I think in the back of my mind, I was like, he's bad Um, or not. He's bad, but like he killed her, you know? And then when it came to the big shocking twist, which also perfectly executed at the very end of a chapter, just mm-hmm. one little paragraph of Maxim being like, here's what actually happened. There was no other body. I was the one who shot her. I killed now? her. Do you love me now? I, and it was like, woof. Yeah. I fucking died during that line. That's yeah. one of my favorite parts of the book. It's like, will you say you yeah. love me now? And I was like, <gasps> like... Yeah, my jaw dropped as I was reading it. Mm-hmm. it was, but then oh, the, best, the more like, that he so talked good. about it, yeah, it's so good. And then the more he talked about it, like about how like Rebecca was wicked, she was manipulative, she like didn't love me and all this stuff. Then I started to get suspicious because I was like, how come no one else picked up on this? How come it's just Maxim? And then the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, we're only hearing about Rebecca's supposed wickedness from this one man who is biased because he killed her. So he's got something to hide. And I just started, like, digging deeper and deeper into it in my mind. And then I was like, I don't know if Rebecca was necessarily all that wicked. Like, how she's described by other characters, like by Mrs. Danvers and everyone else, is like, being, like, really headstrong and really independent and wanting to live life her own way, which is all, like, characteristics of a woman in that time that would have been seen as bad. Yeah. And Maxim calls it bad. And then the narrator, who obviously has her own biases believes him because that's what she wants to hear right she wants so desperately to hear that she is the one who is loved but also so i just was like so caught up in this and i was like i don't know maxim i don't know well i will say because i understand where you're coming from and i had those feelings too but also frank and giles did have 
some kind of experience with her, right? Where she was like coming on to them and they were like, uh, no, you know? So I guess they were the only two who we heard from or heard of in the book who saw the other side or Ben as well. But again, we don't Mm -hmm. see her at all. So, Mm -hmm. but Mrs. Danvers knew because she says, you were all just playthings for her. She was laughing at you the whole time Mm -hmm. because like Mrs. Danvers knows that she's shitty, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't care. Because yeah. Rebecca's like her daughter. Yeah. So I didn't necessarily feel like, oh, what if Maxim's lying? Because it's kind of confirmed through several mm. different like points of view. Like, yeah, Ben being like, are you going to send me to the asylum? I don't want to go to the asylum. Oh, she's like, she's in there now. And even he hated her so much that mm. he had the wherewithal to be like, I didn't see anything. Yeah. I wasn't there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's what makes it such a, a complicated book, I think, is that there's so many different ways to read these twists because we don't know Rebecca, because we have these differing perspectives from all the characters. And I'm not saying like one of them is right or anything. And it's, it's just it's so cool that you get to have all these different readings of it. And we're all so passionate. But like, no, she was bad. No, she was good. Yeah. No, it means this. And that's such a good book that fosters all that discussion. Yeah, because... Like, would I have behaved the way she behaved? No, I would not have. And I remember watching the movie going, oh, my God. And I was like, I was on his side for killing her. And then I read the book and I was like, no. But I I did say to my husband when we watched the movie, I was like, okay, she might have been awful, but you can't just kill someone. So, like, whoa, you know. But Debatable. (laughs) Well, I'm going to just say for whoever's listening – Murder might not be the first um, choice for me or for anyone, I hope. But <laughs> plan of attack, <laughs> literally. It's really strong stance there, Kelly. <laughs> Please don't murder people. There we go. Disclaimer. There, yeah, great. <laughs> for the le- for our uh, legal team. We don't have a legal team. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what I was going to say was like, okay, yeah, she probably did all these terrible things. However, she's like... So she's like almost the foil, but not to Beatrice because she's just doing Mm. what many men would have been doing at that time. You know, she's like, hey, I get this is an arrangement. Here's how I want it to go. Boom. You know, would I have done that? No. But I'm also like, Rebecca, get it because she did get it many times with many people. Go for it. But you can't treat people like shit, you know, but you also can't kill people. So I'm like... I think so who's right we don't know yeah I think my issue is like I am not so quick to look at Maxim and be like yes you were in the right she was evil you are good because I did not like Maxim like at all he treated the narrator like crap he treats her like a child all the time and the narrator says he's treating me like a child I wish he would treat me like an equal all this stuff but then later um, when he tells her that he killed Rebecca, her first thought is like, oh, he didn't love her? Yay, yeah. he loves me. And I'm like, could you like just take this in for a sec? The man that you yeah. love, who never even said he loved her until after she was like, I'm okay with you killing someone. Let's fix this. I love you so much. Then he's like, I love you. And he starts kissing her and she says... Something like, we had never kissed this way. Like, I'm just like, oh, oh, it made me so mad because 
I love my husband, but if he was like, hey, just so you know, I killed my ex, I would be like, what? Not, oh, thank God he didn't love her. <gasps> oh my God, thank you. And then we would just like make out. Like, no, we would not. But you're well adjusted, and the Am narrator I? is obviously not well adjusted. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we know that she was orphaned. She didn't have a lot of love in her life. I, I don't know, know if she was in love with Maxim as no. much as she was like obsessed with him. Yeah, obsessed yeah, with him a huge and obsessed with Rebecca. Between like infatuation yes. and love, and also because of the time period. Um, assuming that the book takes place in the 30s, like this, the time it was written. Mm-hmm. Um, people back then knew completely different things than we know now like Mm -hmm. she was 20 but she probably like had the knowledge of life like a freaking 12 year old like she talks about having oh something about sex and he's like women shouldn't know stuff like that yeah you keep it locked away oh didn't your dad keep your keep those books locked away Mm -hmm. from you and she says yes he did and he said that's where they should stay but i think that with Maxim, and this is not good. It's just, I think, uh, uh, something that I kind of felt is he, I think he really does care about her, but I think that he yeah. has, he loves that she's so different from Rebecca, which I would understand. But because she is so much younger, I think that you really kind of see the external version of his like divide in his mind of like, do I want to really protect this girl and make sure that she never ends up like Rebecca? Like, I don't want her to be jaded. I want to keep her pure and um, happy and all of these things. Like, so he does have that fatherly kind of opinion of her. And I don't think that's an age thing. I think it's just a circumstantial um, thing for them. But then you you do see, I think once he realizes that he can trust her when he finally lets all of this stuff out and she's like, yes, and I'm going to stand by you. He's like, I did make the right choice. Like I was seeing this person that was going to love me unconditionally that I didn't get. My father was a dick. My wife was a yeah, dick. That shows. <laughs> so they're both battling their own kinds of trauma And I think that's one thing that's really great about this book is they are so fully formed. This is what real people are like. Not everybody is wholly good. Not everyone's wholly Mm -hmm. bad. People do bad things for good reasons, good things for bad reasons. And it really just encompassed life so well. And that's Mm -hmm. why I don't hate Maxim de Winter. Essay over. (laughs) Complete. I mean, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I think Maxim did really love our narrator or did care for her. And I think they're two kind of um, b- broken people who were finding each other. And I was actually okay with that. I was like, they kind of, they work in a weird way at the end once they're able to like be honest with each other and they can like be okay with it. And I was like, good for them. You know, they're both like kind of bad, um, but they seem happy now. And I'm, I'm glad for them that they have love now. I didn't yeah. buy their love. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you didn't. <laughs> I. That's okay. I think he. I think he was attracted to her. She was attracted to him. I think she is like that's her first love, right? So there's going to be this obsession, infatuation, like Nikki had mentioned. Um, but I think if we were to revisit this couple, like 
five, ten years later, they would not be happy if he was even mm. still alive. I don't know. Like, he's not that old, but, like, who knows, like, right? He's like 46. He smokes, like, 50 cigarettes a day. <laughs> he's drinking. So he's got everybody back you know. then. <laughs> yeah. But they are revisited from the beginning. Um, she's talking about it from the past. No, or but from I the mean way sorry, later. from the future. This is way say, later, I think. Like, I know in the movie, it kind of made it seem like it was, like, a few months later. But I, oh. I do think it was, like, a while. Yeah, because the way she talks about her younger self is being mm-hmm. like, if I'd known then what I knew now, as I'm now approaching middle age. And, um, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah. I, I assume that they were quite a bit older. I actually thought she had ended up with Frank Crawley yeah. for most of the book. I would have preferred they seemed, like, that. More connected? Because but. he seemed to actually care about her. Like, I understand everything going on with Maxim, and he treated her better near the end. But for me, I saw it as he saw this lady. He was attracted to her. He saw she was innocent and so easily, like, moldable. But then he didn't tell her everything till way later when she already had so much invested. Because it was like this whirlwind romance. And then they got engaged, and he didn't even say that he loved her, really. And didn't tell her anything about manderly didn't tell her much about his ex-wife um and then like just lays it on her so i was just like i don't know dude like (laughs) i don't think he like loves her i think he loves that she's the complete opposite of rebecca so she probably won't do what Rebecca did, you know? <laughs> and right. she will give him children and she will and they they'll be companions, sure, I'm sure, but I don't think he actually loves her and I don't know if for me, if the narrator later on is going to be like, yeah, actually, I love him and not just the idea of him and the the whirlwind and everything. Like I don't know. I just found her just like so obsessed with him and with Rebecca. So I was just like, this is not healthy at all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like this is not going to. No, it's out. definitely not. I mean, they're, neither of them are healthy or well adjusted. No. Mm-hmm. So that, I don't For know. Sure. That's just my two cents. I just. Oh, it's fair. Um, so I have actually, I have a couple things to say, but I'll, I'll break it up. So we can, we can you, you can cut this so that it sounds smart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Leave that in. So. Just while we were talking about Rebecca and, like, her kind of, is she good? Is she bad? What is her motivation? Like, what's going on with her? I think it's important to bring up as well the the twist at the end about how she was terminally ill. Yes. And yes. was not able to have a child, mm-hmm. which totally changes kind of everything that we thought we knew about her. Mm-hmm. Right? It changes, like, maybe that, I, I forget, was it cancer that she had? Yeah. yeah. I think that's what they alluded so, to. Yeah, yeah. The, the doctor was an oncologist. Right. And so there were maybe tumors on her brain that were affecting her behavior. Maybe there was um, tumors on her uterus that affected her fertility. Maybe there were, you know, there were all these different kind of new questions that were brought up by that that nobody knew about. She didn't tell anyone, not even her like lover cousin, who was terrible, by the way, Jack Favell. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think the the cancer was to do with her reproductive system because he said i'm a i'm a women's doctor Mm -hmm. i focus on oncology for women's reproductive issues gotcha i I just think that that has an effect on her that isn't explored in the book like they kind of just take it in like oh great well then that means Mm -hmm. you know 
It works out for the plot because now everyone's convinced that it's suicide, but they don't kind of expand on it. Like the narrator doesn't think about it beyond that, which to me brought up a whole lot of new questions of like, well, then why did she bluff to Maxim about the baby when she wasn't pregnant? Like, was she trying to get him to shoot her? Was she trying, like, I think she was, you know, baiting him. And then like, why was she doing that? Was it because so then she could rest? Was it because so then he would be in trouble? Like, it just brought up all these new questions that I was like, I want to know. Yeah, I know in the in the new movie, because the old movie, he doesn't shoot her, which is bullshit. They literally changed the whole ending that she like tripped and fell and hit her head in the boathouse. And I was like, stupid. Yeah, like what a anyway. She but in the fell. yeah, in Boring. the new film, which one thing I really liked about this version, um, this like you know retelling of the story in the cinematic, like whatever. So <laughs> that they took everything really from the book and just interpreted it. So they don't right, really change anything, but like. You know how a lot of films, they'll, like, change very specific plot mm-hmm. points? A lot of things that happen in this are really just versions of exactly what's said in the book. Mm-hmm. So when you are when you watch it, it could be... I'm sure there's people who watched it and they were like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I thought during the... While I was reading the book. So at the end, he kind they kind of play it like she is baiting him. She's like, you can't tell that, like, if I had a kid, that it's not going to be your kid, which is exactly what happens in the book. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just made clearer when you're watching it. There's a lot of information to take in with this. And I find with uh, Daphne du Maurier's writing, because I don't read a lot of, um, like, older fiction, that sometimes I feel like the kind of, like, hidden meaning is a little lost on mm-hmm. me sometimes where I'm like, this couldn't be so many different things. And like, am I taking this for face value? What's she really trying to get at here? So having that interpretation really helped me at the end because I was like, yes, he, she's baiting him. Mm-hmm. They say she only has months to live. And Danny says she wouldn't want to suffer. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't she goad him into killing her she's like great this will be easy and he's gonna get fucked because they're gonna find out yeah that he killed me yeah so it's like a win-win for her (laughs) even in death she's like laughing away i did like that a lot because it i i I mean hey rebecca was probably awful you know but i still was like get it because why not men were doing shit like that so i like that she was like i'm gonna die hmm Let's see how I can do this. You know, like, I like that. And And that's such an, oh, sorry. Sorry. I just want to say on Nikki's note too about the movie, in the movie, they gave the narrator a bit more agency because she went and and found the file, didn't she? In the movie? The new one? Yeah. In the movie, she like goes to the office and finds the folder and she like reads and she's like, oh my God. And then the people find her and she's like, but he... He didn't kill her because she was going to die anyway. And nobody was like, why are you in this doctor's office at one o'clock in the morning? Which I was like, that's an odd change. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was bizarre, but I do like that they tried to give her a bit more agency and not just everything was happening to her. And she was like, oh, let's go for the ride. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's such an interesting point that you bring up to Nikki about like um, adaptations and how they can have different lenses that like, 
solidify different interpretations of the novel because I feel like for this book in particular just presents a lot of the information. Obviously, it's through the lens of the narrator, so there are things that are missing. But then a cool thing about movies is that they can focus in on a different lens or they can show you different sides of things that are still w- within the realm of what happened in the book, but that are um, presenting it in a different light. And that's what makes, I think, movies of books so interesting to experience as like a separate piece of art, because it's like, it truly really is like an interpretation, like the filmmaker's interpretation of this book, mm. which I think a lot of people, when they read a book and then they see the movie are like mad that they're not the same. I'm always excited when they're not the same because it, it shows different ways someone can take something away from one text, which is like, I'm such a nerd about like literature and adaptation. So that's so exciting to me. <laughs> yeah, the one thing that I really liked about the the new one, the old movie was like, it was a it was like a mess. There was just a lot of things happening that didn't need to happen. They changed really exciting scenes and made them very lame and very like anticlimactic. Yikes. Like the whole scene <laughs> where Favel is blackmailing them in the library happens like in a car outside the courthouse and he's just like yeah so um i have this letter and maybe you could give me some money so i don't tell everybody about it and they're like okay uh, no yeah <laughs> i was like i was like really that's that's it wow. that's what what you wow. took I from truly that scene? <laughs> remember nothing. I can't believe I saw this movie because I don't remember anything about it. How <laughs> did I have to watch it again? <laughs> how did Maxim keep his riches if he's that easily swayed? Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. How did it get to be so rich in the first place? Don't you have to like scrimp and save? Honestly, um, I wanted to talk. If it's okay, I'm sorry. I'm talking a lot this episode. I'm really excited. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about my favorite part of Daphne du Maurier's writing style, which is the way she describes characters. Mm. Because I don't know if either of you picked up on this, but she doesn't actually describe people's physical appearance with like characteristics of their features very often. At least in the earlier thing, this is what I was really noticing, was um, when she describes Maxim for the first time, having seen him, it was more about how it made the narrator feel. So I actually mm. want to read a little piece of that, if that's okay, because I was like so excited about the description. Uh, okay. So the narrator is looking at him and thinking how unreal he would look against a Florida background. He belonged to a walled city of the 15th century, a city of narrow cobbled streets and thin spires, where the inhabitants wore pointed shoes and worsted hose. His face was arresting, sensitive, medieval in some strange, inexplicable way, and I was reminded of a portrait seen in a gallery, I had forgotten where, of a certain gentleman unknown. Could one but rob him of his English tweeds and put him in black, with lace at his throat and wrists, he would stare down at us in our new world from a long-distant past. A past where men walked cloaked at night and stood in the shadow of old doorways. A past of narrow stairways and dim dungeons. A past of whispers in the dark, of shimmering rapier blades, of silent, exquisite courtesy. (laughs) Which is just like, I love that because it allows my imagination to conjure exactly what I feel based on that description, but that isn't like a very physical description. So I I thought that was so cool. Okay, just this is a side note. Oh, God. (laughs) When you were reading that, I don't know why I was like picturing like a like a medieval or like Renaissance painting. But then all I could think of was this. (laughs) 
the cats, the like bad cats in Renaissance paintings. Oh my god. Why? So I was like trying not to laugh. I was like <laughs> But no. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think those descriptions are so great. I am someone who will hate an adaptation if I don't feel like the actors look exactly like <laughs> they looked in my mind. Mm. So that was another reason why I really like that I watched the movie before I read this book because it didn't inhibit me yeah, <laughs> in any way right. because I love Lily James. And while I don't love Army Hammer, he's very nice to look at. So <laughs> it worked for me personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's so much more evocative than saying, like, he had high cheekbones and green eyes and full lips, which is, like, just, you know, whatever, classic handsome man. But this gives me a sense of, like, what he evokes in his presence. Yes. The only – I think she does mention his lips one time, but it's after they they have that really passionate kiss. Kiss, Mm. yeah. And that, to me, also kind of symbolized that, like, she's seeing him as a real person for the first time. Because she does give that really, like, otherworldly, medieval, like, painting description Mm -hmm. of him. So she's kind of seeing him as this, like, otherworldly, like, ethereal being. Mm -hmm. And then when they finally make, like, like, real contact, she's like, yes, I can, like, feel him. Like, it's like she's, like, really touching him for the first time. (laughs) And I was like, I love that. (laughs) I um I wanted to talk a bit. This is like such a random bit, but it really affected me, I got to say. Um when Beatrice and the narrator go visit Maxim's grandmother. Oh yeah. Oh my god, yeah, that made me really upset. I yeah, I was really upset. Um I mean, I haven't I have I have not had a relative with dementia or anything like that. Um, But reading it, I just, this is how I knew for sure, like, okay, I, even though it's a really hard chapter to read, I was like, Daphne, you're really good, honestly, because, (laughs) like, she just makes you feel while you're reading, and it's not, it's like all the exposition, you know? It's not necessarily Mm -hmm. the dialogue, even though there were some bits where I was like, oh no, oh no, um, and of course, you know, the grandmother thinks that the narrator is Rebecca, like, yes, we knew that was gonna happen, or I knew it was gonna happen, but, uh, just reading the bits about, like, the narrator imagining the grandmother as a younger woman, and how she would have been in her prime, wandering oh, yeah. around Manderley, and, like, now Beatrice comes to visit, and it's like, you know, is she here just for obligation and she'll come back in three months? Or does she actually care and want to be here? Does she sense that she's here out of duty? Does she uh, sense that the nurses are putting on this, like, happy, very pleasant tone of voice? It's like, you know, all these things of, like, seeing her in her prime in the narrator's mind and then seeing what she is now and how people treat her and... That it really upset me, honestly. <laughs> and I was like, oh my yeah. God, is that going to, how it's going to be like when I'm old? Am I going to be like that? And I just went down this like, this like tunnel of <laughs> anxiety inducing thoughts of like, this is oh, so no. sad, you know? Yeah. Because I do think a lot of people 
treat the elderly like that, you know? And it's just so heartbreaking because it's like they lose their humanity in a sense. And she was talking about how people treat children differently and then how people treat the elderly differently. And I was like, oh my God, like in the middle of this (laughs) intense, like spooky gothic book, we have this really, really, to me, upsetting chapter with the grandmother. And I was like, Oh my god! And I don't remember yeah. if that happened in the movie. I honestly can't it remember. Did. It did. Okay, it did happen in the movie. I was but so upset. <laughs> I thought it was really well done, though. But I was like, <sighs> yeah the the chapter for me, I was, I I mean, I was expecting it because I did remember it from mm-hmm. the from the new film. I don't know if it happens in the old one, but the thing that was really interesting for me in the book is that Maxim isn't with them. So yeah. in the movie, they Beatrice and Giles bring his grandmother to Manderley, and there's oh, the same kind of yes. scene ensues where she's like, where's Rebecca? Mm-hmm. But in this scene, Beatrice, Maxim's away. I think he's like in London or something. Yeah. And Beatrice calls on the narrator and says, you should come and meet Graham. Maxim's not here. It gives you something to do. And she's like, okay, great. And then all of this stuff happens. Yeah. So I, not not exactly the same, but I can uh, sympathize quite quite strongly with this yeah. chapter. My both of my grandparents have had, or they're both past now, but they both had Alzheimer's, and um, my ex husband now. I I was thinking that whole time if my grandparents were still alive and I brought them somebody new, but they were still attached to this idea. Because yeah. even after my ex-husband and I split, my grandfather would ask sometimes, How's, how is your ex-husband? And I would say, he's great. Because yeah. it felt like it's there easier. was no point in explaining mm-hmm. yep. that we were not together anymore. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting to see this and just be like, oh, I could like feel that in yeah. my own life. And that kind of yeah. shook me a little bit. And it took me a few pages after that to kind of like brush it off and be like, okay, moving on with the story now. Because I was like, that was a little too real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if I had had more time, I would have taken a night to be like, okay, I can't read this anymore because – it was a lot like it was a very strongly written chapter and I felt so upset for this grandmother and oh god yeah sorry go ahead Tilly and she doesn't and she doesn't really appear again no. like that was just kind of it was just an illustrative yeah. um chapter about like one specific point but yeah it definitely reads differently in the context of if you have someone in your life who had alzheimer's mm-hmm. or if you can relate to that yeah. i find this is something that the author does a lot throughout the book because the narrator has such an imagination she's yeah. often like in her own head like thinking fantasizing about what the what people would think about her or what rebecca was like when she was younger there was also a really great portion um of text after the ball so like after the costume ball when um our narrator is so embarrassed and humiliated and she doesn't want to go back downstairs after her outfit has you know been revealed to be the same as rebecca's and she's worried that she's ruined everything mm-hmm. and then she has this moment and the text is just 
different like dialogues that she's making up in her head of what people would say about her Mm -hmm. and then that's what convinces her to go back downstairs you know it's like well i haven't heard seen mrs de winter around much well she always used to be around didn't she and i was like reading it in different voices in my head and i thought it was so clever the way that was done Mm -hmm. because that is how people rationalize things when you're very like internal yes and you're very like anxious and self kind of involved because you're worried about everything all the time. And so I find that's one of the author's strengths is kind of being so in the narrator's mind. Mm -hmm. And it was affecting me because I was like, I'm so in my mind. Is this me? (laughs) Am I like this? Oh my God. (laughs) It made me really think like just you talking about that when we did the From Blood and Ash episode and you Mm -hmm. were like, she just it's too much in her head. Like there's not yeah. stuff going on. And I'm like, this is the right way yeah. to do it. I love From Blood and Ash, but yeah, not because the writing is good. <laughs> so, okay. I don't think it's that bad compared to other things I have read. Sarah J. Mass, Throne of Glass. I'll put it out there. I don't care. So of- um, going back to this better book, Rebecca <laughs> by Daphne du Maurier. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I totally agree. I loved reading those bits. And because I had the audiobook, the narrator would do different voices too. And it was very hush, hush. Oh my gosh, did you hear this? Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I loved it. Yeah, it kind of felt like a play, actually, now that yes. I'm thinking about it, because it was so dialogue heavy in her mind, yes. like her fantasize. And that actually brings back uh, a point I wanted to make earlier or something I wanted to share. This was supposed to be a Broadway musical. Um, mm. I think a couple times it was supposed to be turned into a musical. And I believe the most recent time was, uh, don't quote me on this, I think like maybe five to ten years ago. And the night before they were supposed to start rehearsing, the theater burnt down. In France. Yeah, Rebecca's ghost. (laughs) In France, this was happening. Sierra Bogus was supposed to be in it. Uh, Maybe Annalise Lemming. Or Annalisa. Oh my god, I love her. Why don't I remember her name? But um, no, but I just thought that was so interesting that like even the musical is kind of cursed. Because I do think this would be a very interesting show if it was like a Stephen Sondheim, like dark. um, Yes. You know, because there is a lot of stuff to... Discordant. Yes, a lot of stuff to dig into, clearly, as we're talking, you know, so... I just think that was so interesting that people have tried and it has never gone through. Like, Rebecca's like, no, don't you dare. (laughs) One thing that was really interesting for me reading this, and then, so I was reading this last week and decided I didn't have enough Rebecca in my life, so I put the movie on too, because I was like, why not? So I was reading (laughs) the book and watching the movie at the same time. And it's been uh, like a few months since I've watched the movie and for some reason, I was picturing... So have you guys seen the movie My Cousin Rachel? No. It's also based on a book by Daphne du Maurier. Yeah. The main actress, whose name I'm going to look up right now because I don't want to be an ass. <laughs> okay, Annalisa, let me... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not what I was... I, I wasn't know. even thinking about that. That's so funny. I know. Um, okay. So the main actress, Rachel Weisz... Oh, she's who good. plays Rachel <laughs> in the movie. I, for some reason, was picturing her as Rebecca. Oh, so, she'd be a great Rebecca. Yes, yeah. Would. So she's during so the movie, I was like... I got to the end. And even though I knew that you never see Rebecca... I was still surprised that we didn't see her because I ha- I was picturing this woman 
like her hair, like they talk about her like long, like full hair. And like this lady's like perfect. Her hair is like friggin' down her ass. And it's like <laughs> super wavy and like beautiful. And like, I don't know if it was just like me making the connection because both of the movies are adaptations of Daphne's work. But mm-hmm. I was, even though I knew you never see her, I was still really surprised that you didn't see her because in my mind, I was like, this is what like Rebecca looks like I was getting so engrossed in this book that I was like yes I'm like seeing this person do you, I don't know it was just weird do you know who I pictured as Rebecca <laughs> oh my god who? I pictured in the little mermaid when Ursula turns into a, a human with like the dark Whoa, brown hair yeah. that's who I pictured I was like this evil person yeah, yeah. Right, because the only descriptors we have of Rebecca are like her cloud of dark hair. And she was very and slender, her and very pale. white skin. Yeah. Yes, tall. very slender. Yes, and tall. Yeah, yeah. And so it again a great description because it doesn't really talk about her face at all. But we all are able to like project our own kind of mm-hmm. what that would look like to us, and that's I think more successful than describing the intricacies of of her features. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a thing that I I enjoyed. Well, by the time I read the book, I knew what was going on. But going into the movie for the first time, I didn't know that it wasn't really a ghost story. So I was like, oh, this is like so paranormal and eerie. And they managed to keep that up even when you knew that it was just a memory. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I felt like the book did that really well, too, even though like... It, it's really different with, with film. You have so many more, like, senses to take things in to mm-hmm. get those feelings. Mm-hmm. And I still felt like that the whole way through the book. Who was your favorite character of the book? Because I think my favorite was Beatrice. Because whenever she came on, she was, like, this ball of energy. shit up. Yes! Yeah. I just loved her. And I, I thought she... I would like to hang out with her for an afternoon over tea. I think that'd be so much fun. And I think she really cared about the protagonist. And I think her marriage is probably a little interesting with, you know, their dynamic. But um, I really liked her. So did either of you have a favorite character? Um, Um, I'll say, I don't know if it was like a favorite character, but I really liked and wanted to succeed was um frank crawley i was like i love frank i was picturing him as um mr bates from downton abbey (laughs) that was like the vibe of like this kindly like kind of very like strong but silent uh kind of gruff over exterior and i yeah, I, well, part of it, too, because I thought that um, our narrator would end up with Frank Cowley. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I thought that. He's so nice. I think I was, like, I, I was so focused wife. on it. Does he? Yeah, I think he, no, I think he was a bachelor. Oh, was he? Yeah. I think they talk about um, eating at his, in his house, and it was, like, this is the only time he ever has people over in his little, like, bachelor oh, house. Oh. Um, but I really, yeah, I really loved Frank, and I was like, poor Frank, he's just doing his best. He's just trying to make everything easier for everyone. Yeah. And no one appreciates him. (laughs) One thing that, like, wasn't really clear in the book for me was if Rebecca just came on to Giles and Frank or if they did things Mm -hmm. with her. Because it's very vague. In the movie, it, it is pretty clear. They don't talk about Giles at all in the movie, but Frank had a relationship with her. Mm. That was, I don't know if it was, like, continuing, but they 
were intimate at least once. Mm. And so when it was really interesting in the book to read Maxim saying, oh, she like, she made a move on Frank. She made a move on Giles, but he seems to think you get the sense that he thinks that they were like, no, Mm-hmm. Get away from me, you yeah. beautiful away, witch. creature! Yeah. <laughs> and how dare I you? Think, yeah, and he talks about how Giles came back, and he was at dinner, and he was acting really weird, and he was talking louder than usual, and he was like, "Ha ha ha!" Like, kind mm-hmm. of trying to smooth things over, make it seem like everything was okay. So it's it was really interesting to read how. He kind of just like brushes that out of the way, maybe because he doesn't really have friends and he's like, I'm going to let it slide because I would like to have you in my life still, which is like big of you, but sad at the same time. Mm-hmm. But all of that to segue into the fact that I think that Max was my favorite character to read. I don't mm. I don't think mm. I have a favorite character because everybody in this book was like such fully formed humanoid beings that it's really weird to be like, yes, this was my favorite person who made mistakes. Like, (laughs) yeah, but I think Max was my favorite to read because I spent the whole book being like, what do you mean by this? What are you thinking right now? And I was Mm -hmm. really psychoanalyzing him with the narrator Mm because every time he talks to her, she's like, what does this mean? Really? Like, what are you, what are you really doing right now? Mm -hmm. So yeah, Max, I, I don't know. I, I like him for some reason and I'm (laughs) glad he shot his wife. (laughs) (laughs) He deserves something good. Again, legal disclaimer. We do not condone murder (laughs) Yeah, in the first, second or third degree. My ex-husband is my ex because we're divorced, not because I killed him. Yeah. Just good good clarification. Thank you. Yes. I was talking about this book with a friend of mine who was very excited to hear that I was reading it because I've known I've known uh, this person for like 17 years and didn't know that she's obsessed with Daphne du Maurier mm. and was like loves Rebecca and was like so excited to talk about it. So I hope she's listening. Hillary, I hope you're listening. Um, <laughs> and she was talking about how uh, she thinks that Daphne du Maurier is really underrated and, you know, kind of like not uh, recognized enough, which I was kind of surprised by because I always tend to think of this as like a classic book. Yeah. But um, the way Hillary was talking about it was, well, have you ever seen her books on a syllabus? And I thought, no, I haven't. And I did a degree in English literature. I did a course specifically in like gothic women's fiction. And I've never read this book. And so that really kind of brought it up for me that like, Bob, that's true. And I don't know why that would be because obviously she's an incredible writer. The story has lasted for a long time. You know, it has like staying power. Mm-hmm. I wonder what it is that she's not talked about in the same kind of way as a lot of the contemporary writers of her time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's about it for our in-depth discussion. But before we wrap up, I do want to share a couple little quotes from the book that I really enjoyed. Um, If either of you have a quote you'd like to share, now would be the time to do it. (laughs) Um, I'll share my first little short one first, if you want, and then you can go, Nikki. Great. Um, I picked two funny ones to share because I highlighted a lot of things that made me angry or that were like ominous, but there were a couple funny bits that stood out to me because a lot of this was very intense. 
Um, and the short one I want to share with you, this is in chapter 17, and it's right after the narrator has the whole kerfuffle with her costume at the party, and she's upstairs upset. And Beatrice comes up to try to help her and, like, you know, maybe give her another outfit, help her get back down to the party. And <laughs> Beatrice goes to get her some water to help calm her. And my quote here is, I drank some to please her, not wanting it a bit. It tasted warm from the tap. She had not let it run. And I just thought that was so funny <laughs> because this is clearly a woman. So petty. Yes, a woman who grew up with a lot of money and help around the house. And she doesn't know, you gotta let the water run so it gets cool or hot. You know, she just is like, water, here you go. <laughs> well, I thought that was petty of the narrator. I thought that's what you're saying. No. She's like, the water wasn't even cold. No, How dare she? I took it as she doesn't know what to do. She's had everything done oh, for yeah. her. So it's like, here, have some water. And she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but maybe she was being petty. Either way, I thought it was a fun little moment. It's funny, yeah. I took it as like what Tilly was saying, but I'm like, that's like what I would do. <laughs> like if somebody did gave me warm yeah. water i'd be like that bitch didn't you it's not even cold yeah like, like ew it's like they don't even care about me at all right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this book this book i'm gonna read <laughs> the whole book right now <laughs> stay tuned for bonus 15 content. hours audiobook yeah. narrated five by hours you know? <laughs> so this quote is from chapter nine and it's when beatrice and giles come to visit for the first time I wanted to go on sitting there, not talking, not listening to the others, keeping the moment precious for all time, because we were peaceful, all of us. We were content and drowsy even as the bee who droned above our heads. In a little while, it would be different. There would come tomorrow and the next day and another year, and we would be changed, perhaps, never sitting quite like this again. And I loved that so much i find i i don't know i'm assuming you guys have moments like this maybe everybody does um and i feel like it's something very specific to people who have um big imaginations or read a lot that you can sit and get completely lost in a feeling and a Mm. moment and everybody else can be totally oblivious to what's happening but you know what's going on And that, Mm. to me, I was like, I've sat and thought those things so many times. Mm -hmm. And it was so nice to see it um, so eloquently said, because I've I've never been able to put the words to that feeling before. So that's my quote. Mm. That's lovely. I totally agree with, yeah. I think we've all had those moments. (laughs) Love Mm -hmm. that. Well, I'm going to end this episode with another funny moment. (laughs) Because, again, I had a lot of things highlighted that made me really angry, but the couple funny bits to me, I was like, this is fun. Because now I can see that she can do both, you know? She can write humor and intense, detailed, darker moments, right? So this is in chapter 16. So this is right before she goes upstairs to change into that (laughs) awful costume. (laughs) And um, Maxim is talking right now at the um, at the table i think they're eating dinner so this is before they get dressed and or before um the narrator gets dressed anyways and maxim is not going to dress and participate because he's like oh no i'm there to host you know don't need to participate so he's sitting at the table and he says 
Don't encourage her, Frank. She's so full of her precious disguise already, there's no holding her. B will put you in your place, that's one comfort. She'll soon tell you if she doesn't like your dress. Dear old B always looks just wrong on these occasions, bless her. I remember her once as Madame Pompadour, and she tripped up going into supper and her wig came adrift. I can't stand this damned thing, she said in that blunt voice of hers, and chucked it on a chair and went through the rest of the evening with her own cropped hair. You can imagine what it looked like against a pale blue satin crinoline, or whatever the dress was. Poor Giles did not cope that year. He came as a cook and sat about in the bar all night looking perfectly miserable. I think he felt B had let him down. No, it wasn't that, said Frank. He'd lost his front teeth trying out a new mare, don't you remember? And he was so shy about it, he wouldn't open his mouth. Oh, was that it? Poor Giles. He generally enjoys dressing up. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Giles. And then he just goes on, or the narrator goes on to say, Beatrice says he loves playing charades. She told me they always have charades at Christmas. And Maxim says, I know. That's why I've never spent Christmas with her. And I just thought... This is such a realistic dinner conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. about being like, oh, Beatrice really let him down. And then Frank's like, no, I think he lost his teeth from a mare kicking it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not funny, but it is. I'm sorry. It was such a, a welcome relief from a lot yes. of the intensity. Yeah. yeah, I think Beatrice and Giles did provide a lot of that comedic relief. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a great part. And you really see the normalcy that can happen because so much of this book is focusing on like these really weird interactions and like yes. uncommon situations. And then you see this family sitting down and you can yes. really feel that like the you're you're meeting your in-laws, you're learning about <laughs> your new family for the first time and you're like, yes. what is going yes. on all these eccentric people all at one table? I loved it. I had a blast. And I want to go over to Beatrice's house and get some tea, okay? I want I want to hear the tea and sip some tea, okay? It's probably going to be lukewarm <laughs> knowing her, but... <laughs> and with that, I think we're going to wrap this episode up. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the BYOB podcast. If you enjoyed this and want to hear more from us, you can head over to our social media accounts to keep up to date on all things BYOB. We've got Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, the works. Our next episode will be a little different as we take a quiz to find out if we're really bookworms. Oh my God, I'm so nervous. And dish about our reading habits. See you next time. And until then, keep on drinking in great stories. Cheers. Cheers.